today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. How many ears have I cut off? How many souls have I killed? Taking matters in my own hands. Fighting a spiritual battle with carnal weaponry. And I've left a bloody mess all over the place. Wait, just wait. Just wait. God's going to do it. Oh, He's not going to do it the way you think He's going to do it. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Have you ever taken matters into your own hands? In today's message, Pastor J.D. shares how his impatience with God hurt him. Our impatience can thwart blessings that God has planned for us. Waiting on God is an essential lesson for us to learn. God's plan and timing are perfect. Let's align ourselves with His perfection. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. I know many of you are familiar with Oswald Chambers, his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. Well, this is many, many years ago. In fact, January 4th is the devotional, and it's all about this. And Chambers says, don't rush ahead of God. Wait for Him to do it. Wait for Him to act on your behalf. It's not about Isaiah 64, uh, 4, but it's about when Peter was kind of getting ahead of the Lord, forecasting, predicting, getting ahead of the Lord, not waiting on the Lord. He said, don't do that. Don't rush in to try to fill in the blank line. Leave a blank, wait for the Lord to fill it in. Because if you rush ahead of the Lord and you do it instead of the Lord, that severing of a relationship, that decision that you make on the impulse of the moment in your haste, not waiting on the Lord. Chambers says, sometimes you will make for yourselves problems that will take years to make right. Oh, this is many years ago now when I first (laughs) read that devotional. I have this love-hate relationship with Chambers. You know, it's one of those things where, Tozer's another one, by the way, There was a time when I was really in my devotions reading Tozer, and you know, I'm like, oh. And finally one time I just took all my Tozer devotionals and I put them away, and I said, no, no. And I'd go back three, four months, and then come back, and okay, now maybe we'll try again. (laughs) I mean, just. And this was one of them, and I, I just remember thinking to myself, man, that explains everything. And I started rewinding the video in my mind of all of those times that I didn't wait for the Lord to act on my behalf. And I cut Saul's head off. And I took it by force, not by faith. And I didn't wait. And I did it in the energy of my own flesh. And it was riddled with conflict and problems that even, I'm sad to say, to this day have never been made right. I've tried in as much as I'm able. Because 
You see, the Lord knows the heart, and the Lord's timing is perfect. And if David would have cut Saul's head off at that time, all of the 600 men, all of the people in Jerusalem would have heard about it, and their whole service to David, their love for David, would have been marred for the rest of his life. Because after all, this is the guy who didn't wait for the Lord, and he just took matters into his own hands, and he killed Saul. Saul was not to die that way, and certainly not die by David's hand. Saul would end up dying by the hand of an Amalekite, the very Amalekite that Saul was commanded to eliminate. And there's another lesson too, by the way. And we saw that uh, in our study of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel as well. But you have to deal mercilessly with sin because sin will deal mercilessly with you. Mortify the deeds of the flesh, the Amalekites, a type of the flesh. If you don't kill the Amalekite in your life, you can be rest assured that the Amalekite will kill you. And that's exactly the end that Saul was met with. But it didn't come by David's hand. It came by God's hand, in God's way, in God's time. Just wait for him. He'll always do it at the perfect time, in the perfect way. If you try to do it, oh man, you're going to mess it up. Uh, Peter's another one. Now, why not? You know the account of when Jesus is being arrested. I was reading there too. I I don't know why I do that, but um, I just identify with these guys, and because that's me. It's you two. So here they are. And what does Peter do when they come to arrest Jesus? He takes his sword out like David, and he actually goes through with it, and he cuts off the ear of this soldier by the name of Malchus. I never imagined Jesus having a disdain or a disgust in his tone, but it was kind of like more like, Peter, what are you doing? Well, first he healed the ear. I know we're going to see that guy in heaven, because if that's me, and that happened, and then Jesus heals my ear, I'm saved. That's, this is the Savior right here. I'm in heaven. So we'll see him, and uh, he'll have a glorified ear. But um, <laughs> how many ears have I cut off? How many souls have I killed? Taking matters in my own hands, fighting a spiritual battle with carnal weaponry, and I've left a bloody mess all over the place. Wait, just wait. Just wait. God's going to do it. Oh, He's not going to do it the way you think He's going to do it. And oh, we're so good at just kind of hinting at the way we think God should answer our prayers. They're called directional prayers. They kind of sound like this. Lord, we petition the throne, and Lord, if you could just... And then we start giving God directions and instructions on how and when and the way to answer our prayers. Like God's going, wow, wait, what? Go back. What, what was that? That's a great idea. I never thought of that. <laughs> Listen, 
it's kind of like with our kids. You want to help me? Don't help me. You want to help me? Get out of my way. Just stay out of my way. Don't try to help me out. I mean, it's adorable. Oh, it's so adorable. Isn't that when our kids are little and they, hey, Bubba, can I help you? Ah. Okay, come on. And they just make a mess of the whole, oh, it's so adorable, but it takes you 10 hours to do what it should have only taken you a half hour to do, because they just got in your way and made a mess. Well, we do that with the Lord. We want to just get in there and, hey, God, let's, dare I bring up Abraham and Sarah? How about that bloody mess? How many Ishmaels? <laughs> I'll just speak for myself. I've got a lot of Ishmaels out there. Ishmael, a type of the flesh, Isaac, a type of the spirit. Why is there an Ishmael? Because they couldn't wait. They could just wait. Yeah, but Lord, how much long? Just wait. Yeah, but Lord, I mean, come on already. Listen, the Lord is never late. He's never early either, but He's never late. His timing is always perfect. Now Sarah's 90 years old. She's like, you know, I can't wait any longer. I mean, look at me, honey. And you're no spring chicken either. So, <laughs> so they didn't wait. And what's the result of their unwillingness to wait? They birthed an Ishmael. Do you realize that to this day, the repercussions of that, the consequences of that, that one decision all those generations ago, that one decision by one man and one woman, both of them were complicit, by the way. I read nowhere in the narrative where Abraham's like, no, honey, we're going to wait. No, it's in fact, it's almost like this, honey, here's Hagar. Yeah, I've been, I've been noticing her. There's no protesting, there's no questioning, there's no nothing from Abraham. I mean, I, you can try to look and let me know if you find something, but it's just boom, that's it. it. So they're both complicit meaning that Abraham was just as impatient as his wife. And by the way, husbands, now wives, please just bear with us for a minute here, okay? Can you imagine every day as a husband having your wife say, Honey, uh, God promised us a son, and I had another birthday, and we better do something about this. And so I, in all fairness to Abraham, as a husband myself, don't blame him for probably thinking to himself, you know, I can't take it anymore either. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. That's, that, that totally came out wrong. <clears throat> but yeah, honey, I, because as a husband, come on, you guys, as a husband, you want your wife to be happy. You know that saying? Happy wife, happy life. 
Come on. <laughs> How true is that? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So here's Abraham like, man, you know what? Okay, fine. And they didn't wait. I'm so convicted right now, I want to move on to verse 5. So, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. Wow! Another translation renders it more accurately to the original. And how can we be saved? So the prayer kind of turns a corner of sorts, and in the sense that the problem of sin and the need for salvation is acknowledged. So here you're crying out to God, and Lord, you rejoice in the righteous, those who do righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. And the problem is we have sinned. And we need a Savior, and we need to be saved. That's the first problem. It's the sin problem. Because I'm unrighteous, because I'm a sinner, and you are indeed rightfully so angry. So I got a sin problem. And not only do I have a sin problem, in verse 6, I also have a righteousness problem. What? Listen to verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Hang on to that. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now I really got a problem. <laughs> I'm really in trouble. Not only do I have a sin problem, uh, seems like I have a righteousness problem too, because if I'm righteous in myself, my own righteousness, that's like filthy rags. Now you'll forgive me for pointing out the graphic nature of the meaning of this in the original, but it carries with it the idea of a menstrual cloth. That's what our righteousness, our own righteousness is like to the Lord. Can you imagine, if that's what our righteousness is like to the Lord, what is our sin like to the Lord? Well, let's talk about our righteousness. Why is it likened unto filthy Minstrel cloths, because what does a minstrel cloth represent? Death. The death of a conception. A death of a, what would have been a birth. What are the wages of sin? Death. So our own righteousness is like sin, which has a wage, which is death. 
And that's what our own righteousness is like. Isaiah, who many believe is the one who is praying and crying out, to his credit, he is acknowledging his state before God and the state of all man. In our sin, we need a Savior, and even in our own righteousness. Verse 7, there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. Why? For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. Now get the picture here. It's powerful and it's profound. Because here we are in our sin and our own righteousness, and it's as filthy rags, and God can't even look upon it. We are unclean. And He has hidden His face from us. He cannot. Because God is perfect, and God is holy, and God is righteous, and we are unrighteous. So, (laughs) what are we going to do here? Well, Here's the good news. The onus is not on us. Let me explain. It can be easily missed at first read, but it has to do with God reaching us because we cannot reach Him. Again, stay with me. That's what religion is. Religion says man has to do for God. That's religion. Christianity says, no, you can't, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So it's impossible. You could never reach God. You will always fall short of the perfect standard of God's righteousness. You can never be righteous. Your own righteousness is as we just described. So, well then, I'm toast. How can anyone be saved? I've sinned, I'm unclean, you've hidden your face from me. I am consumed because of my iniquities. And God says, I've got a solution. I'm going to reach down to you because you cannot reach up to me. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to become a man. And I'm going to come down and become a man, and take your place in your sin, and I'm going to die for you to pay for that sin, so that we can be reunited. Will that work for you? <laughs> I'm like, Lord, yes? Wait, let me, let me see if I got this straight. So, It's impossible. I cannot reach you. You knew that, so you came down to reach me. Yeah. Wow. What God is this? Who is like unto you, O God? See, it's not what man does for God, religion. By the way, Islam, Buddhism, all of the isms. It's all man doing for God. That's religion. Christianity is what God has done for man. 
He's become a man to die for man, to pay for the sins of man, so that man could be with God. Wow! I mean, on the mainland it's goosebumps. I'll have you know here in Hawaii it's chicken skin. So we'll leave it at that. Verse 8, but now, (laughs) this really is interesting. Oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you our potter, and all we are the work of your hand. Okay. Well, first of all, this reference to the potter and the clay is echoed by the prophet Jeremiah, which by the way, after we're finished with Isaiah, is Jeremiah. I can't wait. I know I say that about every book when we start a book, but I cannot wait to start in the book of Jeremiah. But the prophet Jeremiah refers to this, and so too does the apostle Paul refer to this potter, clay, father, child. Why? Because the clay belongs to the potter. See, that clay is the potter's workmanship. Poema in the New Testament, where we get our English word for poem, we're his work of art. And he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Key word, complete it, meaning that he's not finished. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard all of those sayings and back when they used to put bumper stickers on cars. Do people still do that? I don't know. I never do that. I especially don't put Christian stuff on there because of the way my wife drives my car. But anyway, (laughs) I'm just kidding. She's not here so I can get away with that. But um, you've doubtless heard Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Or I'm a work in progress. Or God's not finished with me yet. Well, that's, that's what Isaiah is saying here and praying here. You're not finished with us yet, and you're our Father, and we are your workmanship, the work of your hand, and we are the clay in your hand. And it also kind of has this idea of, we're at your mercy. Our lives are in your hands as the potter, and we as the clay. Will you be gentle with us? Be merciful to us? We're the work of your hand. And you're our Father. You're our Father. We belong to you, whether you like it or not. (laughs) That's kind of what he says now. Do not be furious, verse 9, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. This is a Plea for mercy. Be merciful, O Lord. Don't be furious, O Lord. And notice the appeal for mercy is on the basis of, I'm still your child. You're still my father. It's almost like this, and you'll forgive me for illustrating it like this, but for lack of a better illustration, you're stuck with me, God. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospel is mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah right here on In Spirit and Truth. 